0: Good morning, good news. My name is Mike Lasoli and I've been asked to read the scripture this morning. Um, Before I do that, I had a quick question. How many of you feel like you've missed out on something one or two times in your life, right? And so I had the opportunity to be in the first service and I really don't want you to miss this opportunity. So I just ask you to just really still your minds and what's going on this morning and really listen to today's message because I don't want you to miss that opportunity. If you please stand, we'll read the word. Luke seven thirty six through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of a woman that is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker, and one owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That's at the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
1: I'll pray real quick. God, we love you. God, help us. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to give you a little context, um, Mike is... um, his daughter is Morgan. She sometimes leads worship. She leads the choir, and she's also over all the worship training at the church. And his son in law is Drew, who is our student ministries pastor. So, and he serves on the welcome team. But I just thought you might be interested in making that connection real quick. All right. So this morning we're talking about the sinful woman. I have to tell you how this came about. So the, so the, um, oh wait, going back one, I can tell you guys are fired up, and I'm really glad about that. Um, but yeah, this, this, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the, the preaching team was like, Hmm, we have a sermon about the sinful woman who could possibly be the most sinful of all women that can speak this message. And I got nominated. So here I am. <laughs> and actually I consider it such an honor and a privilege to Talk about the sinful woman, and I'm glad to do it this morning. Now, this passage that we read, um, you guys, if you've been around the church very long, have heard this message lots and lots of times, talking about the hair, the oil, washing the feet, gender roles. This passage is full of symbolism. It's full of theology. Pastor Raphael's preached about it. Um, Pastor Chris has preached about it, at least on a couple of occasions. So, um, I'm this morning. I'm not going to talk about that part, but I don't want you to think that I don't think that part matters. I'm just going to talk about this part kind of in um, the context of the true story that it is, because I think we all have true stories. And this is like such an amazing true story from the Bible that we can talk about this morning. But let's just to modernize the idea here a little bit. This would be the equivalent of, say, Billy Graham is in a hotel room suite with, like, a bunch of leaders that are trying to talk to him about stuff. You know, Billy Graham being representing Jesus in this story. And then there's, like, these really hardcore, like, theologians and people that know the Bible really well and write expository books about it and everything like that. And it's, like, John MacArthur and James Dobson and all these, like, hardcore guys. And then in in comes to this hotel suite this um, high-dollar call girl, Okay? She just comes in without saying a word. Now, what would the initial response be about that situation? First of all, I would think that these guys would be worried about Billy Graham's reputation right? If you have this call girl coming into this hotel suite and, and she's uh, obviously a prostitute. If, um, if they don't deal with it or whatever, you know, Billy Graham's reputation could be crushed and he could be on the next tabloid magazine and, and that sort of thing. So when you think about it from a practical standpoint, it is a little tricky, you know, and it's easy to be like, Oh, Jesus this, Oh, the Pharisees this or whatever. But in real life, you know, um, there's a lot of things that could be going on there, making this situation a little bit more complicated than it, really, than it really is. But we know for sure this is not Mary Magdalene. This is not the woman caught in adultery. We know that this is not the woman that anointed Jesus' head um, with oil. Uh, quick disclaimer, I am going to talk about uh, prostitutes and those types of things for a few minutes. So if you are concerned about your child being in the service, if you feel they're not um, old enough for that, just put earbuds in the, your phone... You know and then, and then, pick some app for them to use for about five minutes, all right um, so anyway, but let 's just talk about prostitutes. You know all prostitutes aren 't equal. I know from this from personal experience you know that there 's high end that was a joke and <laughs> I was concerned when nobody laughed. Good grief. This is going to be fun. All right. So you have your high-end prostitutes and high-end prostitutes. I've done. Um, uh, so anyway, a high-end prostitute could be, um, would be like a call girl or something like that. And they can bring in, you know, a few thousand dollars a night. Whereas, like a low-end prostitute, they might be the type of prostitute that's like um, having sex for money to buy heroin or something, and they might only get thirty dollars. You have this big disparity in, in terms of what a woman might earn, and this is important because because the passage talks about the oil being expensive. So, if I were to ask, um, if if I were going to give a hundred bucks to a, a business owner. Versus a hundred bucks to a person that um, waits tables, who do you think is going to appreciate the hundred bucks more? Right, unless your business is really tanking out. you're you're probably the person waiting tables. So when we're talking about expensive oil that this lady brings and anoints Jesus with, um, it's, it's telling, in my opinion, about what kind of prostitute or woman that's active sexually, basically, um, theoretically, it could be just somebody that's sleeping around with every guy at the office or something like that. But, um, but I was thinking I looked up and tried to do some calculations about the value of that expensive perfume that is put on Jesus because expensive is very relative to one person. What's expensive might be very different to what's expensive to another person. Right. Based on your income. So anyway, the amount that um, I figured out was three thousand one hundred dollars is what that expensive perfume cost? Now, in your opinion, um, your expert opinion about this topic, um, do you think that that lady was probably more towards the high end or do you think she was more towards the low end if that was considered expensive perfume, $3,100? I would say the opposite. I would say more towards the low end. If you make a couple $3,000 a night then, you know, a bottle of perfume that costs $3,100 bucks is not a huge sacrifice, right? If you make 50 bucks a night, how long would it take you to save for oil that costs $3,100? So this, I, this lady is probably not a high-end call girl. She might not be the heroin addict, but she's probably not the high-end call girl. Because for her to save the money, $3,100, for most of us, right, we're not making $3,000 a night. And so $3,000 is a lot of money to her. And we know that because it says that it was expensive. Now, the... Um, the. Um, the Bible talks about prostitutes actually quite a bit. There's actually quite a bit of stories about women that are prostitutes. There's all the way back to Rahab and people. Uh, Interestingly, uh, the interaction with God and these prostitutes tend to be um, pretty different than you might expect it to be. In fact, there could be prostitutes in this room right now. And but the, by the nature of the vocation, it's not like you're going to go out to your small group and say, yeah, I'm a high-end call girl, and this is what I do, and this is how much I make, right? It's a very private occupation, and you're not going to go to even your kids, likely. You're not going to go to your kids and say, mom's job, that's what I want for you. You know, I want for my kids to get the most dollars per night of any girl in Omaha. You think that is what a mom says? No. It's this private, it's even if you make $3,000 a night, it is very likely that you, your kids don't know on purpose, your parents hopefully don't know, your small group doesn't know. Hopefully the people, when you come, you come to church, they don't find out by accident or, or they don't find out because they were the one propositioning you the night before. And even if they were, how many of you know in this room, come on, they, you would never say a word to one another. Never. What are you going to go up when to the woman while you have your wife on your side and say, oh, you know, I think I saw you last night. No. That's not the nature of that vocation. There is a lot of, even if you make a lot of money, people don't respect you. They don't, they don't want to have your job. When they grow up someday, they don't say, oh, I sure hope I can have your job when I grow up. I sure hope my kids can have my job when she grows up right? So if you can put the first slide on, so how did she get the money? Jesus never defended the source of the money. She never defended the source of the money and she never defended stopping by uninvited. Now this is important because this relates to who she is. So next slide, please. So the, so the, um, the woman in this story, her past and her present is that she has a sexualized life. A large part of her reputation, how she earns her money, blah blah. Kind of like, kind of like a like a person that's a lawyer or a doctor. It's like that's part of their identity, you know? It's like, who are they? Oh, they're the lawyer at the courthouse or something like that. This is the same way. Her vocation is her identity, and that identity is a bad identity, and it's an identity that you don't want. So here she is in the story, and it's going from her past that they explain. This is what she was like, and it goes into her present moment when she's walking in the hotel suite with Billy Graham slash Jesus. And she has this authentic attempt at reaching out. And her past is what has driven this authentic attempt. If she hadn't been a prostitute, would she have had the same unction to I'm going to go and pour oil on Jesus's head? Her, her, uh, her history, her past, what she didn't want to be like, wanting to have forgiveness for this weight that she was carrying, that she felt guilty, humiliated, all this kind of stuff, drove her to the present moments in this story where she has this authentic attempt at reaching out to Jesus, not knowing what the outcome will be, right? Not having any idea what's going to be going on. Now, so her past is embarrassing behavior, Right? And so she really doesn't have anything to lose when she steps into the meeting. She already has an embarrassing behavior in past and everybody knows it. So she really doesn't have anything to lose. In her past it lowered he, her create cre- cre- credibility. So she has nothing to lose. She already has no credibility. Her past has facilitated her getting the cash to buy the over the top gift. Her past has facilitated her buying this. In one way, shape, or form. Her past has given her probably a lot of experience with reading men. When women have been around men a lot, in whatever setting, sometimes, I'm just telling you, men, women will tend to have this read on men. He's a jerk. He's a womanizer. You know, whatever. So, so her past, it's likely, gave her the ability to read Jesus, And say, I have a good feeling about this guy. I think he might be able to help me out. There's no sense of fear of any of the men in there, which is a whole nother point, right? Based on her occupation. She's not intimidated by those men. None of them. And she has this sixth sense of saying, I think that this guy might help me out. Now, and it's the same for us today, right? The, um if you have slept around the office, it affects what you do, how you feel about yourself and how other people feel about you. She had her past framed or her self-esteem framed. And that pushed her to this present of having humility, authenticity, and wanting absolution for how she was feeling. And, and so she had this authentic attempt. Now our past affects all of us, every single person in here, your past affects you. Okay. Every single one of us, for example, when I was a kid, we had like a modest life. You know, my dad was an associate pastor. My mom didn't work. So we had this modest life. And so we only had one tube of toothpaste per household. One bathroom, one tube of toothpaste. None of this tube of toothpaste for everybody in the house kind of business. None of that extravagance. One tube of toothpaste for for the entire household, right? And so I went to my friend's house this one time, and she was like affluent. Her dad was like a businessman, and he made a lot of money and stuff. And so I went to her house, and I forgot my toothpaste. And she goes, oh, that's not a problem. And she goes to the hall closet, and she opens it up, and there's like a stack of toothpaste. And then right next to it is a stack of soap bars. And then there's a stack of towels that are all the same color. And they're folded in the exact same way in a neat little stack. And she just, like, gave me a tube of toothpaste. It was like, no big deal. Here, have a tube of toothpaste. I was like, wow, these people are rich, you know. And so, anyway, when I grew up, you know, when I had our own family, I was like, all my kids are going to have their own tube of toothpaste. No, and I'm gonna have. I'm gonna save my dentist toothpaste, and I'm gonna put them in a row like this. So if any guests come over and they forget their toothpaste, I can give them their own tube of toothpaste. You don't say, "Oh, you can borrow my toothpaste in the bathroom." None of that. You can have your own tube of toothpaste, right? And and then there's like there's like black beans, even in the pantry. We never had extra. No extra of anything. So we use black beans a lot. And now I like to have two to three cans of black beans in my pantry at all times. Because one never knows when one will need a can of black beans. And, and in fact, right before our vacation last week, we only had one can of black beans. I went to Walmart. I got two cans of black beans. I put those things in my pantry because one never knew when I got back from vacation, if I would need those black beans, right? My past affects my present in such a practical way that a week ago when I went on vacation, I went to Walmart and I got two cans of black beans. You get it? If you have an undocumented... Uh, father and he comes to Omaha and he doesn't speak English and he has a really hard way of making a living for his family and works um, manual labor jobs and gets taken advantage of by his bosses and all that kind of stuff. Well, you, because you grew up like that, that was your past. You say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to learn English and I'm going to get a college education and I'm going to become a lawyer in the first national tower. and I'm going to wear a tie and I'm going to, my parents are going to be proud of me and I'm going to make their sacrifice worth it. His past affects his future. Someone else could be in the first national tower with a law degree that speaks English. And they for a totally different reason. But this guy's past affects his future. And here he is today. How about if you, like, if, for example, if you grew up with alcoholic or addiction in your household and you like, were always on the verge of eviction or something like that. And now you are like the opposite. You will like not spend any money at all because under, you know, come hell or high water, I am never getting evicted from an apartment or something like that. Or, um, if you, uh, if you have obesity in your family, you know, like all your family is overweight and obese. And then, um, and then you could have, that's your past and you have your present. And you might have one or two responses. You mean, might be like, everybody in my fa- family is obese, so I'm gonna be obese and it's not worth it, you know, just arguing about it. Or you could say, I am not going to be overweight. And I've seen a woman like this where she, her family was obese and she was like obsessively exercising, whole foods, blah, 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 because her past was affecting her presence. She, presence. she did not want to be overweight. She had grown up in a family watching what obesity was like. Now, how about um, sexuality, like same gender attraction or something like that? You might have something in your past. You might have something that happened um, in a, with a f- uh, family friend, relatives, the church, Christianity what the church has said about same gender attraction and all that kind of stuff and this is your past and it affects your presence your your disillusionment with the church your um, anger at people that are judgmental or, or something like that but your past what has happened in that impacts what, how you're present how you see other people how you see other christians how you see just the news or anything like that okay so our our past affects our presence say you a uh, cancer survivor And now you're like, I'm going to go to Hawaii and I'm going to buy a red Porsche and I'm going to, you know, whatever, because your past, you had a chronic disease that was deadly and now you don't because you were healed or you were cured. And so it affects your present. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to spend money. Who cares about saving? You see what I'm saying? Past affects your present. How about God issues related to past and present? Unanswered prayer. Becomes a lack of faith. I don't think I can answer prayer. I tried, I tried praying about it and nothing changed. Uh, if you have a hypocritical pastor or leader, you can become very skeptical about the organized church in every way or any church that you go to or something like that. It affects because you had that experience of hypocrisy, it affects your present view on Christianity and on the church. Like the example Walt gave or the example Walt gave about the truck, praying for the truck and the truck not getting fixed. That, That can happen to us all the time. We pray for for something we pray for it to be healed we pray for our tires not to blow we pray that we don't owe money to the irs we pray that we don't lose our job we pray that we get a raise or whatever and if that doesn't happen or if it does either way it affects our present what we think oh well i asked for a raise and i got a raise you see what i'm saying it builds your faith it builds your faith up if you if it doesn't happen it can push your faith down where you have um, not as much faith Are you guys picking up what i'm laying down so our past doesn't keep us from Jesus though. It can actually draw us to Jesus, which we see in this passage. The woman's past was a sexualized life. She is an authentic attempt at reaching out and it actually pushes her toward Jesus. And this happens in our life. This happens with our past. What happens will either push us towards Jesus or it'll push us away from Jesus. In this situation, this lady, which has a bad situation going on. I bet you most people don't have as bad of a situation in this room as this chick does. And she, it drives her towards Jesus. She says, I need some help. I want some help. Instead of being like, I got this. I got all I need. I don't need you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so how about um, this is what this can make us weak or it can make us strong, but either way, it fundamentally changes you. Your past, leading into your present, leading into your approach towards God, will fundamentally change. Every single person in this room, for example, I've had uh, a couple of chronic illnesses over the last many years In fact, I was shaking again this morning. Sometimes I shake sometimes I don't and it's it's embarrassing and I wish it weren't the case But that's what i've got going in my life. So anyway, um, my one of my sons asked me recently They said don't you wish you know, don't you wish you were better? Don't you wish and I said Sure, I wish I, I wish I was better. However, this chronic illness has fundamentally shaped me shaped my theology, shaped my compassion towards people, shaped my humility. Do you understand? Had this not happened in my life, I could have been stuck up and full of pride and everything like that. Um, just all sorts of things. Oh, dependent on the Lord. Now I feel like I'm, I have to be dependent on the Lord. You know, I cannot put lipstick on this morning. I'm shaking too much. You see dependence on the Lord. Okay. That sounds small, but whatever. Whatever your situation, same difference. What is your chronic condition? What is your current state of your past and of your present that is influencing your posture towards God? And isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that we can learn in the Bible from this nameless, faceless, who knows her past, who knows her her present? We can learn from her about how you take your past into your present, into your posture towards Jesus wow, that's crazy. So crazy. Now, um, let's see, how would your posture be different towards God? If you had a different background, if something bad in your life hadn't happened, like related with God or related to the church or something like that, how would your past, how would your posture toward Jesus be different today? Had that not happened? Had that not happened? How has your past fundamentally shifted what we, how we position our part towards Jesus? And even if we do come towards Jesus, okay? What has happened in your life? Now, I want to tell you a story real quick about, about this. And if you could move towards the next slide, please. So this woman... Comes towards Jesus. And I just put it in red for Jesus. And she comes in faith. The passage says towards Jesus. That's her posture. And then Jesus says, I have I forgive you. You have come far enough. And I want to tell you a story about that. So this is Jesus' response. Okay, uh, last year, Walt and I were in Colorado. And we were um, going to climb a 14,000-foot mountain. Now, the only reason I was going to climb a 14,000-foot mountain is because I had not Googled... What to do when climbing a for had I googled then I would have not tried to climb a 14,000 foot mountain Okay, but um, I didn't because where we were staying didn't have wi-fi. It's in the middle of mountains Anyway, okay So anyway, so we decided to do it and lem- basically this is what happens when you climb a mountain It's like you're on your bike and you're going up a steep hill on your bike for 10 hours That is climbing a mountain. The whole way is uphill. Okay? The entire way. It's, it's really messed up. I don't understand. And I have the agility, I, my Saint Bernard has more agility than I have. You know what I'm saying? I, I have no agility whatsoever. And so after a few hours, we're making progress, but I'm feeling worse. I'm feeling worse and worse. And I my fingers start swelling. I feel real nauseous. Uh, I can't keep anything down, any fluids, any nuts or anything to give me some fuel or whatever. And so I can't keep anything down. I'm starting to have a headache. I'm starting to feel lightheaded, all this kind of stuff. and so, And so I'm feeling worse and worse, and we're not getting to the top yet. And I'm starting to feel... Wow, I don't know if I can make it, I don't make it. Then we transition. In mountains, there's like all these different transitions of terrain. It's basically from hard, harder, hardest, even worse, even worse, and so forth. And, and so anyway, um, so we're to the, there's no word to describe level, okay? And, and it's like all gray rocks. And it's like straight up. I mean, it's like basically you have to climb like this to get up. It's ridiculous. And, and so, and the, and the, um, rocks are kind of like, you know, falling down as you're, as you're going, it's like falling down and falling down. And I didn't realize until that moment that I'm afraid of heights, you know? (laughs) And, So I'm getting higher and higher and feeling worse and worse. And I'm like, I think I'm afraid of heights. I never realized it, you know, and I'm getting up. Well, it gets to the point where I don't think I can go any farther. And the thing about this mountain is you couldn't see the summit because the summit was kind of like this and like that. So you had to go over this little, this little hump, and then you could see the summit. But from where I was, you know, you could not see the summit. So I had no sense of how far I had to go. And so it just felt like forever, 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 you know, forever and even longer, you know. And so I get, I get to the point where I said to Walt, I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can do it anymore. And so Walt said, well, let, why don't you sit here and then I'll climb the rest of the way. I'll see how far it is. And if if it's not too far, then I'll come down. Well, either way, I'll come down. But... <laughs> Well, it's like, I like it so much up here. I just think I'll stay here forever. (laughs) I've got my Camelback water. This is okay. Anyway, um... So, um, Walt goes to do this and I, I find this like, or Walt helps me find this like cleft in a rock, like the old Testament, like David, you know, all those guys where they just like go in a cleft of the rock. Well, they exist and I was in one, you know? And so I'm just in the fetal position in this cleft of the rock and I'm just feeling horrible. I can't even drink water, which is really bad. So I get in the cleft and Walt takes, goes. I'm in this cleft. And even in the cleft, I am full of anxiety. I'm just like, I cannot wait to get down from this place. I cannot wait to get down from this place. I mean, that's all I could think about. And, um, what I was really, is really spiritual. And I was praying, you know, a lot about what he wanted to teach me at that time. No, I just wanted to get down. And so anyway, um, so anyway, after Walt's gone, this guy comes up, this guy comes up and he's like, Decked out in all the appropriate hiking gear, you know? And he was probably in his like early 50s, late 40s, something like that, and he comes up to me and he says, are you okay? which is really good hiking etiquette because here I am a woman by myself in a cleft of a rock, you know, and he's in a fetal position and, and he's like, are you okay? And I said, oh, I'm not feeling well at all. I said, I'm up here with my husband. My husband's climbing to the summit to see, I explained the situation. And, and he said, okay. And he like just stayed there a little bit to make sure I was okay. And then he said to me, he said, he said, well, ma'am, do you realize that you just passed a sign a little ways back that said f- you've reached 14,000 feet. He said, he said, you haven't reached the summit, but you've successfully climbed 14,000 feet. And, and Walt came down I thought that was such a kind thing for him to say to me, you know, it was such a kind thing. And, um, and walking down, he said, it's about a hundred more yards to the, to the summit, but it's all the same terrain. And I said, I can't do it. I I cannot do it. It's too far. And so he said, that's fine. And he, we started our descent off the mountain. I, I knew I couldn't make it and coming back. And, um, Googling or whatever. It's like I had all the symptoms, basically of altitude sickness. I was like in really bad shape. I, I needed to get down, but I didn't know that at the time. But anyway, so I got back down and we, we got back down and I told Wald about this good Samaritan guy that had stopped to help me. And I thought of this story and I thought, this is what the woman did. She climbed to 14,000 feet. And then Jesus said, you've come far enough. I'll come the rest of the way. I forgive you. I forgive you. I think, as Christians and as unbelievers both, what we've done is we've climbed and we've climbed and we've worked and we've tried our best and we've prayed our best and we make it just over 14,000 feet. And instead of feeling good about it, instead of realizing Jesus is going to meet me, He's going to forgive me, He's given me the grace, instead we think, I haven't gone far enough. I have to get to the summit for Jesus to love me. I have to get to the top for Jesus to love me and really to be really forgiven. In fact, I believe some of you are not have not even committed your lives to Christ because you have only gotten to 14,000 feet and you think there's no way that Jesus could forgive you there. I'm not completely free of my sin, I have too bad of a past. I'm too poor, I'm too bitter I'm too offended I haven't forgiven enough There's too much in the past Not all of it is forgiven I don't feel guilty enough I don't try hard enough And Jesus is saying He's saying you've come far enough You've made it to 14,000 feet You've expressed your faith Now I forgive you Now I forgive you If you've never been saved, some people, I believe, are over 14,000 feet in the cleft of the rock, and they've been there for 20 years, never realizing that Jesus is right there, right there, saying, you've come far enough. I forgive you. Your faith has made you well. The fact that you've gotten to 14,000 feet already demonstrates faith. For the woman in the story, for the woman in the story, the fact that she walked through that door of the hotel suite represented faith. Had she not had faith, she never would have done that. Save her 3,100 bucks. That was an expression of her faith. Many of us in here are making an expression of our faith all the time. An expression of our faith all the time. And they never realize that Jesus is receiving that expression and saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I see your faith. I see your faith. Go to the last one and then we're going to sing a song. Then what happens is at the end of the story, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, go in peace. He says, you've been forgiven of many, many sins and you are very, very grateful. Now go in peace. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. You have been forgiven many, many sins and you are very, very grateful to Jesus for forgiving those. Now go, now go in peace. Go in peace. Take that burden off. You can climb back down the mountain. You've been forgiven and you can go in peace. Can you stand please? We're going to sing a song. And this song is exactly what we've been talking about. And this is what I want us to do as we sing it. Thanks, guys. Um, This is what I want us to do. Every single person in this room is at 14,000 feet or close to it. If you have an expression of faith, I want every single person, if you've never been saved, if you've never put your faith in God, or if you have and you're still fighting, fighting, fighting to get harder, and we're going to just receive the forgiveness, the grace. The goodness and the peace of God in this service. The worship team is gonna sing. I want everybody to raise their hands. If you feel comfortable, I want you to come up to the front. If you want to just again receive the forgiveness and the grace of God, just come on up to the front and we're gonna sing this. Can you get the words up, guys? I heard broken
2: sing. Come on. Jesus. Come to the end of yourself. Come on up if you're so comfortable. Receive God's
1: grace and forgiveness. Jesus is calling. Sing it out. no
2: come to the altar. The father You want a fresh forgiveness? Come to the front. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is called.
1: like that woman did of kneeling or whatever, just asking, thanking God for the forgiveness of your given many, many sins and we're very, very grateful. Move forward in peace. If you've been forgiven of sins for the first time or for the millionth time, when we pray this, I want you just to thank God and be very, very grateful and receive moving forward in peace and just you know if so if you feel like you've repented of your sins or you've given your sins over to god again today i want you to want you just to um raise your hands in some way or make some expression of your faith in him because we can't go and pour oil on jesus right now so make some expression of your posture towards him to receive forgiveness and we're going to just pray before we leave and then we'll all come up God, I thank you for every child you have, all of us that are in this room. I thank you that nothing from our past and our present can keep us from your forgiveness if our current posture and faith is is in place. God, whether we've had a good past or a bad past, we know either one can keep us from you. So God, we acknowledge our desire to be forgiven by you this morning you've gone far enough, Jesus says. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus says. Because of your faith, Jesus says. Now I pray my brothers and sisters will go in peace with a weight lifted from the sin that they've been carrying in their life. If they've asked your forgiveness, God, I pray for peace to rest. On the hearts and minds of every person who's asked for forgiveness today. I pray that we will go in peace and live in peace. May your Holy Spirit lift off that burden from us. Like the, like the um, sinful woman, she just came, she poured out her oil and that was a done deal. In the same way, may that be true of us in this room today in the name of Jesus. May we go in peace because we are so very, very grateful of your kindness and goodness to us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank God that our past doesn't have to push us from Jesus. It can actually draw us to Jesus. Uh, This woman must have known something about Jesus, enough to know that he was a safe guy to bring her past to. And um, man, I love that. Carrie, thank you for that message. Thank God for that message. Can we thank
2: the Lord this morning?
0: All right, I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come if you'd like additional prayer this morning. Uh, Don't forget tonight, Stinson Park, 6pm, bring the family uh, bring a Bring a great expectation as we worship and pray together. Have a blessed afternoon.